Good morning, afternoon, evening, etc. to you, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Right on Track podcast, where we are continuing our quest to review the cinematic masterpiece that is Thomas and the Magic Railroad in this, the 42nd episode of the podcast, where we hope to answer the question to the life, the universe, and everything, but more specifically, Thomas and the Magic Railroad. I am Tom Parry. I am one of the three mainstay co-hosts on this podcast. I am, of course, joined by my two wonderful co-presenters, including the one and only Connor Jonas. Hello, hello. How are you going there, Parry? I am very well, and how be you today, Connor? Like, I mean, we're covering this film, so could be better, but like, I mean, there are some good (laughs) eggs. There are some good eggs with it. There are some good eggs. I reckon our third host would have something to say about that, and that is, of course, none other than a podcast and radio extraordinaire, Tom Denham. Yes, my name's Tom Denham. We're reviewing Thomas and the Magic Railroad today, over two episodes, and it's really exciting! Wow. <laughs> yeah. Ha- have you had too much red cordial there, mate? No, no, no. It's just that the opportunity doesn't come that very often to have the creative space and license to talk about the film that I ideally love and um, this is the place for that today and it warms my cockles very much so. That indeed it does. Now for those who didn't tune into the last episode, uh, quick recap. We got up to Mara Wilson's character who goes by the name of Lily having a discussion to her mother about going to see her grandfather at Shining Time And we did say that is all the characters introduced in the movie at that point. And we would like to... We lied. Yeah, yeah, we would like to correct that error because it is not the last character to be introduced. There are more characters we still need to introduce in this, which seems to be never-ending exposition at this point. But uh, we shall be brief. We shall move on. We shall get on with it. And Connor, why don't you lead us off? Now, where are we up to in the film right now? So, as you just said, Parry... We're left off with Lily uh, climbing up the fire escape. Totally safe. Don't do it at home. Uh, (laughs) Getting ready to go see her grandpa, Burnett Stone. When back on the island, the engines are not phased by Diesel 10's antics. And they get busy back to work. However, James is feeling very grumpy in the sheds. As we have a small little bit of banter between the big engines and small engines. Only James, who now felt really useful too, was complaining. Wobbly wheels, puffy pistons. Thomas, I should have collected Mr. Conductor. James is right, little Thomas. (laughs) Collecting Mr. Conductor is an important job, hmm? Important is big. James is a big engine, hmm? You, Thomas, are small. Small, 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 teeny, weeny, weeny. And I, I'm a big blue engine who knows everything. (laughs) Bossy sprockets. All that steam has gone to your funnel. Hey, there they are. We'll fix their wagons. I'm not good at backing up. Me neither. What's important is to stand up on our own wheels to Diesel. Toby's right. Diesel knows that the lost engine in the legend really exists. What engine? What legend? Of an engine whose magic makes her more powerful than Diesel will ever be. That's why he wants to find her. Then we'd better find her first. Leave it to the big engines, Percy. Little engines can do big things, especially when they have nice blue paint like me. Hey, hey, just watch what happens to that blue puffball when Harold the Flopper Chopper flies past here. Right? 
so there we have it. That clip there is one of the first instances of the back and forward between multiple engines, not just one or two, or Mr. Conductor and Thomas. Yes, we get to hear all the voice actors doing their stuff for all the different characters. And it's quite strange to hear because we've got Henry speaking with an American accent, even though everybody else speaks with a British accent. We've yep. got Canadian actor Colm Fior speaking or voicing Toby rather with a British accent. So I don't know how that works out, but anyway, uh, bizarre denim. Do you, do you have any more to add to this? Yeah. I think one of the things that you really need to consider with this being a universal product rather than like prior to which in the TV show, you'd have the UK dub and the U S dub. This was accessible to both. So I can understand the reason why they would employ the services of having that mix of UK and US. I, on the surface, it does feel a little bit odd, but there's, I don't know, there's, there's a methodology behind it, if that makes sense. And definitely one of the greatest uh, changes, as you say, moving from the UK to US, is the removal of Michael Angelus in the film, who was originally supposed to you know, do multiple voices, including James and Percy. It was only after American test audiences uh, thought that he made the characters sound a bit too old, especially for James and Percy. Uh, after they were made to sound too old, uh, that James and Percy were replaced by Susan Roman and Linda Ballantyne, respectively. Mm, a similar thing happened with Thomas's voice actor, because he was originally supposed to be voiced by a middle-aged British postman. And the test audiences didn't like his voice either. So that's when they brought in a more traditional voice actor to fill the role. I have to correct you there, uh, Captain Pedantry. Um, <laughs> it was actually a taxi driver that Britt Orcroft met um, on the Isle of Man. And when she was in this taxi with this particular taxi driver, um, she was particularly charmed by his voice and his kind of storyteller aspect and she thought to herself very much like how she kind of chose Ringo Starr with the original series she went that's that's the voice for Thomas Hmm. and and I should note I should say as well Edward Glenn is the voice of Thomas in this movie yes uh with the original one being Jonathan Ballas who as a taxi driver is humorously credited as transportation co-coordinator Ah, brilliant work. But but, uh, overall, uh, whilst it is a strange voice cast of characters, they still do bring these characters to life. Uh, The the one that uh, shines above uh, the rest for me is Neil Crone and his portrayal of Gordon, which he has now returned as Gordon. Has he now? Yes. uh, In the... uh, now oh wait! I know where I know I know where this is going. Oh dear! Down oh, the hills no. and round the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in all engines go, Neil Crone has returned as the voice of Gordon. Oh! I've actually seen a few episodes. It's quite good. Have you seen it yet? No, and I don't intend to. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> well, 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 we'll move on quickly then. Uh, engines have back and forth banter, big and small. Gordon and Thomas. Brilliant. Classic season one dynamic. I love it. Small, 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 teeny, weeny, weeny. Then we have got the exposition from the engines as they talk about what lost engine 
and the magic railroad and why Diesel Tanner wants to destroy this engine. And, and, then, and then we have a flopper chopper flyby with sneezing powder that Diesel Tanner has somehow sprinkled everywhere. Like, he, he can't really pick it up. He can't really spray it evenly. I mean, like, he could use his claw to, like, sprinkle it around all over the place. That makes sense. Yeah, but that's Season 8-style packaging. And I like to think that we're, you know, not at that level of laziness. But uh, all the engines sneeze and banter. Mm. Was that fast uh, enough flop- for you, Barry? Um, no, it's still a bit too slow. But um, okay. I, sh- I should mention as well the flopper chopper that Connor is referring to is, of course, our favourite helicopter, Harold. Yes. And- is one and only seen in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's funny. It feels like that they have to have this requirement that they have to get specific characters into the film. Like, Harold is a very marketable character. Mm. It's a bit like Bill Murray in Zombieland, I guess. You see him. If you miss him, he's gone. That's it. Uh, now, uh, after this scene, we've got a little bit of slapstick comedy as Mr. Conductor messes around in the Sir Topham Hatt's office while talking to him on the phone. And then we get nighttime at Tidmouth Sheds, where Mr. Conductor is going insane talking to a ball and bat as all the engines sleep next to him. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is um one of the criticisms which has been leveled at the movie and at Alec Baldwin. It's just, he's too silly and we don't know what's going on. And, you know, I, th- I think we'll just play the scene. You know, it needs to be heard to be believed, really. So who dropped the ball then? Oh, there you are. I'd like to have a nice cup of hot cocoa. Would you fellas care to join me? No? What would you rather do instead? Go outside and play? Well, I can understand that. What do you think? Why do you keep hitting him like that? You're going to have to have a timeout. It's straight after this scene that Diesel 10 attacks the engine shed. Well, more accurately, he takes down the scaffolding, which for some reason is up against a hole in the wall. Why there's a hole in the wall of the engine sheds? We don't know, but it's... <laughs> there's a perfectly good explanation for this. Okay. No. Okay, I've got a theory. Um, oh no! So buildings do need to go through a time when they reach a certain age. They de- they do need to go through a time where um, they're fixed up to maintain their structural integrity, especially if they're particularly old. And if you notice in between series five and six, the Tidmouth shared roof raises a little, which suggests that the Magic Railroad is canon because we see the scaffolding of them fixing this as it's happening, and it's like that in the next season. Like, yes, but at the same time, in Series 3, the shed changed like two or three times. Yes, but a season doesn't, like, take place in one year. Do you reckon, like, the incident of, like, Percy's promise and escape happened within the same 12 months? And and this is one of the years. Anyways, Mm. anyways, um... But- yeah, yeah. Um, I don't particularly like this theory. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it's good, but you know, the problem is that it makes the Magic Railroad canon, and we don't want that. But so. now you hang but, on just okay. a minute. Well, well oh, boys, dear. settle down now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. okay. Send you both back to class. So, <laughs> both of it- us are older than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Connor. And yet you're still listening to me. So, this scene does one thing though. 
that I love, and I wish that more Thomas films took on more, and that is Diesel Tender is genuinely being threatening. He is sticking out his claw. He's going, I've got a plan and you're not in it. And I'm willing to basically kill for that. It mm. is... And then he's thwarted with a bag of sugar. Well, <laughs> yes. So, of course, uh, plot convenience. Mr. Conductor has run out of gold dust. He can't just magic himself away. So, he, instead he pulls out a bag of sugar who's using to make some tea or coffee before bed. But it's actually very accurate because in old diesel engines and car motors, the sugar would be used to clog up the filters. It would be a common prank to throw sugar on your mate's motor to clog up the filter. They would stall, eventually seize. Hmm. Yes. Yes, indeed. But so it, it's after this incident with Diesel 10 and the sugar that Mr. Conductor realises, okay, if I'm going to stop this maniacal diesel, I need help so or some sort of help at least so he decides to venture into the forest again don't question it just go with it and then he's instructed by a rabbit who's written on a piece of paper to try eating some vegetables and that's how he gets the idea to call his cousin now connor who's his cousin and where's he come from oh well his cousin is currently just lounging out on an island having a wonderful time uh, drinking a uh, summer Sunday whilst listening to the song Summer Sunday. Now you're missing my point here, Connor. I mean, wh- where's the where's the character come from? I mean, we haven't seen him before in the movie. I don't think he's in the Shining Time show. He's definitely not in Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends. So, where's he come from? When a mummy and a daddy love each other <laughs> very much. <laughs> yes, That's that because ma- we are now introduced to Mister Conductor's cousin. Junior, who's played by the Scottish actor Michael E. Rogers. Why, why is he called Junior when he's his cousin? Uh, my guess is is because uh, his father and therefore Mr. Conductor's it, uncle he was named it, after. Is it like... It's because he's the Junior Conductor. Oh, he's a Junior Conductor in training. Hmm... I, I, I guess so, uh, yes. I thought maybe it was like an Elmo's World situation where you've got Mr. Noodle and Mr. Noodle, the brothers. I, I don't know. Anyway. Right, right. Fair, fair, fair. But yeah, hmm. the, the character... If you have seen all of Shining Time Station and all of the UK Tom's the Tank Engine and Friends, up until this point, like, first of all, like you would have no idea about the story of Lily and Burnett Stone's son. They're out of the blue. But here we are, a solid 32 minutes into the film. So a third of the way into the movie, and we're still being introduced to brand new characters. Yes. Films do this all the time. No, not not like this, they don't. And they don't uh, introduce such influential characters, because Junior very much becomes a part of the main Sodor troupe, I would Mm. say. When... You've got engine when you've got characters in the island of Sodor, you've got Thomas and Percy, you've got Mr. Conductor, Junior, and Lily. And then on Shining Time side, you've got Patch and Burnett. Mm. And then Lily when she's there. Mm. And that's the main grouping there. Of course you've got Billy Two Feathers and Stacy to the side, but like in the main film they did have bigger parts, but not in this. Yes, indeed, and we should all we 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 should also note that in order to contact his cousin, 
Mr. Conductor Senior, Alec Baldwin, he decides to use a couple of bellflowers to telephone his cousin, who promptly answers the call on his shell phone. Get it? It's like cell phone, shell phone. I I, I think um, the bellflowers are probably slightly more clever, though, because, you know, Alexander Graham Bell, inventor of the telephone. Huh? 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 Fair, fair, but before we get all flowery with our language, <laughs> let's move on. So, phone call. And it's at this point, after the phone call, that Lily finally arrives at Shining Time Station. We, we've had a beautiful musical sequence of I Know How the Moon Must Feel. Mm-hmm. And for the second time, Lily, the, the sweet deer, decides to follow a dog's orders. Yes. Apart from getting on the wrong train, not looking up at the very clear sign that says Platform 4 and still Platform 3, goes, I'm at this strange location. This strange dog is now barking at me to get off. I will just get off. That sounds like something that happened to me one night. (laughs) (laughs) We'll need to talk about that later, Denimo. It's it's probably not suitable for this podcast and our demographic. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, where she gets off and then she meets Junior, who we literally just met before, and suddenly it's, oh, hi, Junior, hi. Now, this scene isn't too special, and I would gloss over it, but it has got one brilliant piece of foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. When Lily is hearing Junior knocking around inside of Mr. Conductor's signal box house? Yeah, his uh, painted wall box house that he somehow house. gets into yes his conductor's quarters uh junior advise six little cute glass figurines on a shelf oh five and he knocks one down which is brilliant foreshadowing to an event that occurs a little later on when thomas is collecting some coal but we'll get to that later oh, oh. i'm t- 27 years old and I just realised that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. He's a good egg, that Connor. Yes, he is. Thank you. I read it somewhere on Twitter about two years ago. Anyways. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, now I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, Colin, I must be smart. I've somehow convinced you to keep me around. So, uh, He's got us there, Denim. Oh yeah, we're done for now. <laughs> Mr. Conductor is still lost in the middle of Sodor somewhere, depressed, deprived of all hope, having more nightmares. Stacy and Lily meet. Yes. And then Stacy and Lily immediately go off on a little adventure together. Lily is too trusting, from what I've yes. learned. Yes, she is. I mean, first she trusts the shaggy little dog, and now some strange woman comes up to her and says, Oh, I'm the station master. I know your grandfather. I'll take you to him right now. Hello, stranger danger. Yeah, but it's evident in that conversation that Stacy says that her grandfather did call. She did receive a call. He She calls him by name. So obviously the, there's some sense of trust there. Yes, but, you know, just... I think a scene like this... I mean, there's another scene like this we'll get to in very soon, but I think a scene like this really exemplifies the problem I have with Thomas and the Magic Railroad. It's just that... We're introduced to someone, uh, they're introduced to somebody else, they establish a bond, they move on. That's it. It, it, There's just no 
it just seems like there's no breathing room and yet at the same time they've got all these long song sequences which just go on and on that seem to be padding out the film i mean why not pad out the film with just these gentle little scenes of characters talking to each other i mean it teaches kids things like patience and all these other things aren't coming to my head right now I do think I have to disagree with you there, Parry. I, I think this scene's done really lovely. Like, they go on this lovely car trip through uh, the beautiful Isle of Man, and there's this wonderful moment where, obviously, Stacey has some connection with um, the Stone family, and they reminisce on her grandmother. I, I think that the way that this is paced is really nice. Right, well, yeah, Isle of Man, of course, doubling for, like, the pacific northwest of america um yeah another thing about this scene have you noticed the car that stacy is driving the two of you it it, i it reminds me a bit of greased lightning but i don't think that's the point you're referring to no that's not the point i'm referring to okay stacy's driving a convertible mustang i want to know how is it that a train station manager can afford a mustang I think you've just said your own answer there, Parry. She's a manager. Managers do earn a pretty penny. And there is no um, suggesting that there is a Mr. Jones. So Stacey Jones could be single and thus has more money for herself. Like, true. But I feel like the only reason she's got a Mustang is because it's red. Mm. Yeah, I I think that's it. Because a Mustang's pretty much... One of the furthest things you can get from a steam locomotive. Hmm. Well, I think the real reason is that they were filming on the Isle of Man and they said to themselves, hold on, we're in the Isle of Man, but we're pretending this is America. We Does anybody have like an American car just lying around? And they saw someone with a left-hand drive Mustang and said, that'll do. Look yeah. at it, it's Mustang Stacy. Oh. Hey, you never know. But, but... Move faster. So, this is a brilliant brief scene of uh, Shining Time in Muffle Mountain late at night with on the radio Some Things Never Leave You playing. It's a brilliant song from the soundtrack. I recommend everyone listening to this to go listen to it. Um, And uh, you you sort of get the whistling of Lady happening in the Mm. background. Then you cut to nighttime on Sodor, where you see Cranky at Knapford, or at least his legs at Knapford. You do know that he is a transportable crane. Yes, technically. We saw him move around all over the place in Series 5, <laughs> like he was <laughs> never in one place. True. He's there working, obviously, on heightening the roof at Knapford Station. Uh, Ready for Season 6. It- yeah, And that's why in Series 5 we never see Napford Station and we see Kirk Ronan instead. I and... made a joke and he took it <laughs> as canon. <laughs> I cannot believe this man. Mm. I cannot believe this man. These working conditions. So, a brilliant sort of callback in this scene is Percy and Thomas are talking whilst delivering the mail, the post. Mm-hmm late at night, uh, about the magic railroad and the magic buffers uh, that Percy overheard Mr. Conductor talk about in his sleep after their attack by Diesel 10. Little do they know that Diesel 10 is lurking in the shadows nearby, listening to them. And then Toby rolls up afterwards going, Diesel's heard everything you said, I'm afraid. 
Toby seems unusually like like peppy and chipper in the film. Yeah, he seems pretty content with. Yeah, but it's it's strange though, isn't it, Denim? Like you know, he seems perfectly content with the fact that Thomas and Percy have just divulged huge secrets to a Diesel that was overhearing them. If anything, though, I think this further exhibits the naivety shared between Thomas and Percy. And Toby, being one of the older engines, I think knows that at the end of the day that the steam engines will prevail and that Diesel is maniacal enough that he's not going to get his own way. And Toby oversees that, if that makes sense. Maybe, but in earlier film, when all the engines 1 to 7 without Edward, because Edward's model wasn't ready yet, are talking, Toby says, I fear he'll destroy us all. Hmm. Hmm. It's like you've got a big grin on your face. He, you fear he'll destroy you all. Look scared. Mm. He, j- he just seems all. Well, what a shame. He's had a stroke. Better get back to. <laughs> <laughs> Better be careful. Anyways, um, so Toby, very much the hero he is, goes and spies on Diesel Ten and Splodge. I don't have time to say both names. <laughs> Inside the scrapyard shed. Uh, and as they're, they're scheming and talking about these things, uh, Toby goes, I need to do something. And he rings his bell very loudly. Now, if I were not to know how the scene were to play out after this, I would call Toby an idiot. Mm, no, I would too, actually. Like, ringing the bell's only going to draw attention to you and, you know, have them come and chase after yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, and, and like, I mean, it. But Toby's a strategic kind of engine. I feel like he would know that. It would take them longer mm. to get to where he is. Fair, fair. But at the same time, they're in a scrapyard, so that loud noises that are abrupt aren't really going to be too jarring. But anyways, what does follow, apart from Toby's heroic class stand, is that Pinchy knocks the shed down on top of Diesel Tenon's Splodge. And then Pinchy bursts out from the roof, looking around for where it comes from. And Diesel Ten goes, I hate it when you do this, and tells Pinchy to stop, further implying Pinchy's sentience. I- Is it possible to suggest that Toby could have preempted this behaviour and he knew that would have happened, hence why he rang his bell to get their attention? Diesel 10 think Pinchy's alive, but he's not. Well, I, I guess that it would explain why Toby rang his bell is because he knew that Pinchy would misbehave just as Diesel 10 knows that he's always misbehaving. Because, Fair. because I think the likelihood that Toby would have escaped the clutches of Diesel 10 and Splodge are very, is very unlikely because according to our favourite Wikia, the Thomas the Tank Engine Wikia, Toby's top speed is just 30 miles per hour. That's not fast. I mean, you know, there are there are people who run faster than that. Oh, yeah. Impressive. Yes. But, but, okay. So the top speed of Toby is uh, 30 miles an hour. Top speed of Diesel 10 is 90 miles yeah, an so hour. Yeah, so three times as fast. Literally three times the speed. So... I, no, I will give that. Toby, knowing Pinchy will misbehave, I'll give you that. Mm. But then something very special happens. And 
I'm not too sure whether you guys know this, but after this scene, uh, and it goes, you know, D- Diesel 10 and so on, it talks about how the steam engines are still right on track, and then it cuts to a really useful engine. Aha, uh-huh. it's funny you say that, because when I was thinking of a name for this podcast, that's what I based it on. <laughs> what? Sure you did. <laughs> like, no, I remember right on track as a saying. In, in fact, even as a pop 1987 song. But, I... I never remembered. Are you telling me that the entire time the podcast has been a reference to the Magic Railroad? Yep. I think I hear the Kill Bill music in the background. Connor is just going to unleash some vengeance now on Denim. You're lucky you live a state. Hey, at least it's better than calling all engines. Calling all engines is amazing. We'll fight on that. But... No, I, I, okay, I think but before anyone tears another's limbs off, um, right, what happens immediately after really useful engine plays? Let's keep, keep going. I, I mentioned uh, I mentioned this before <laughs> uh, in regards to this, the, fi- the six little, five little figurines uh, mm-hmm. that fell over. And this is the reference to this scene here where Thomas is building a really useful engine. And he's collecting one, two, three, four, five, six uh, special Sodor Island coal trucks for Henry, who's got boiler ache. Even though, you know, he had a complete refurbishment and shouldn't need special coal anymore. But anyway. I, I'll touch on that briefly. But mm-hmm. um, before I do, as Thomas uh, bumps couples, it, it's it, they're not knuckle couplers, but he somehow just bumps into them and they couple. Anyways, mm. uh, the sixth coal truck rolls away through the magic buffers and disappears. And then... You should note that it's at this scene, do remember this for later, there is a tumbleweed. Yes. It's kind of floating around the location of the buffers. And it's mm-hmm. when uh, the truck goes through the magic buffers that the tumbleweed is dragged towards the buffers. And specifically, as the coal truck goes through the buffers, the tumbleweed is pulled towards and sticks to the side of the buffers. But, brief thing on Henry there, because a lot of people bring up the fact that Henry is ill, and he mustn't, you know, he he shouldn't be ill because in season one he was like this, so on. Fair, it probably is just a error on script writing there. They were referencing him being ill, but I have got a workaround for it. And it's the exact same problem that Lady faces. Mm. Because different steam engines from different areas were made to run on different kinds of cars. Ah, this is where you're going with this one. So, for example, the Talhun Railway at the moment uh, has had a bit of an interesting issue because I believe in Wales, or at least the UK as a whole, the last official coal mines have closed. Well, Which means that now they're needing to import Russian coal. What was slightly different because the coal that the UK engines were using to sort of like in the steam engines, which burns really well and lasts longer. So that mine has shut its operations, which means they can't use that particular coal anymore. So they're having to get coal from elsewhere. But the problem is that coal doesn't, you know, burn as cleanly or as long as the, you know, the British or the Welsh coal does. So, yeah. 
that's what's going there. And Thomas doesn't say special Welsh coal for you, Henry. He goes special island of soda coal for you, Henry. So Henry isn't feeling ill because he's got the wrong coal and he's still a weak engine. No, he's just feeling ill overall and low on steam. Thomas is like, ah, oh, don't worry, I'll get some good coal for you. And Thomas is just being a wonderful marketing team for the Soto Island Coal Company. Mm, so we filled in that plot hole. That's good. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing well, guys. And then afterwards, uh, we move on to the next scary scene, which is one of my favourites. Denim, would you like to explain what happens as Mr. Conductor is walking towards a viaduct? So as Connor says, Mr. Conductor is solemnly walking towards the viaduct and then the looming figure of Diesel Tang can be seen approaching in the distance. And when he uh, seeks out Mr. Conductor, he tries to run up a hill, but to no avail, is caught by Diesel Tang with the thanks of Pinchy, and he takes him over the viaduct and holds him over the edge, threatening him to find out where the magic buffers are. Yeah. He literally, this viaduct in actuality is 10 diesel tens tall, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Which is meaning it's about, we'll say, 100 metres at most. Mm-hmm. And here we are having a human character, not a wooden figurine, a human character, <clears throat> being held over the edge, threatened to drop in in a kid's film. It's pretty dark. It is... Yeah, it is so dark in this scene. It's one of my favourite scenes. In fact, for Alec Baldwin being trapped inside a claw, they made a giant robotic Diesel 10 claw for him to be put in. That's commitment. Yeah, I want that claw. I I want that claw in my room with a little joystick. Hmm. I should have said that's resource. And sagacity. I think it's about being clever and wise, Mr. Parry. <laughs> You're giving me boiler ache. So, Mr. Conductor, <laughs> quick wit, grabs his uh, garden shears? Yeah, because you never know when you're going to need some garden scissors. Yes, yeah. What, um... Fair, fair. Mm-hmm. And he cuts a, a, a hydraulic pipe on Pinchy. Uh, which somehow causes the claw to release and fling Mr. Conductor all the way across Sodor to land right where he needs to go. And he's been looking for the entire time, the windmill. And not only that, he's landed on a big pile of flower bags that we, the audience, have put there for him. So we've completed our mission, guys. How good on us? So you see, gents, we are an integral (laughs) character in the plot of Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Um, Okay, so uh, if you haven't seen Thomas and the Magic Railroad, you're going to be lost at this point, and you're going to say, hold on, why is Mr. Conductor thanking us for putting the bags of flour there and um, I'm lost and I've seen it. Uh, we don't know the yeah. answer to that either. Yeah. I mean, you got to give him credit. Like the guy has caliber, like uh, Alec Baldwin has done so many movies and he's definitely stretching himself here. Like this is one of his first like major kids films. It does remind me a little bit of um, Jim Carrey in the TV show kidding. He has that kind of quirky local uh, show host vibe about him. It works well, and I know that this is, a th- like, it's a kid's thing. It's fiction, fantasy. 
we think about it in our own way, but he literally got flew halfway across the island because there's no way that windmill was right next to the viaduct or else mm. Diesel 10 would immediately go there to get him. Quite right, yes. Which means that he's got to have had quite a rapid speed and then flump onto a pile, yeah, a flump onto a pile of flower bags. That's a flump. Like, that's, yes, that's got to hurt. <laughs> Say, say the noise again, that, Connor. What, what, what's the particular noise he makes when he hits the flower bags? So, so, so you start with a f- and then you go to a l- mm. and a mm- a, a flump. Yeah, a flump. Okay. You sort of flick your tongue out. Oh, I see. Thank you for clarifying. But it's it's. I shan't question that. Yeah, because if we questioned everything Uh, in this movie, you know, we'd be going on for another three, four, five episodes of this. Yeah, and honestly, like, we got 17 minutes through the last one, and, uh, what, that took an hour? (laughs) We had a lot of complaints. (laughs) But, but, okay, thankfully, everyone, uh, I'd like to say, we've gone an extra 30 minutes through the movie now. Oh, excellent. So that means... And we're not even at an hour. Today, Magic Railroad, tomorrow the world. Cut down with that. Look at us. Look at us. We're professionals. Mm. So, uh, Flump, Diesel 10, and Splodge Banter. Uh, Lie, lie, pants on fire. Does he wear pants? Well, training pants. I I love the little in-jokes behind the scenes here. And then Lily meets someone else. Parry? Yes. Um, this is the other scene I was referring to earlier in the episode. So Lily meets Patch at a tree and Patch goes, I'm paraphrasing here, but Patch goes, bet you can't climb that tree. And Lily goes, bet I can. And she climbs a tree and Patch is like, where did you learn that? And she goes, on my fire escape. And then they introduce each other by name and boom, we've established a friendship. Yeah, and not only that, Brilliant. Uh, Ben Stone walks up and Patch is like, hey, I want to take Lee down to the station. That all good with you if Lily wants to? Yeah, sure. Okay, have your home by sundown. Okay, off I am riding on, <laughs> riding on a horse with this strange boy that I just met. They bonded? And, this is the most PG romance ever. <laughs> Row. Um. Okay, okay. <laughs> I warn you that Cody McCain's, y- y- you know... Mm. Is a bit older now, and his name isn't Patch. Ah, McCain's. He's done it again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That that, that and Cody McCain's is about 10 years your elder. That hasn't stopped anyone before. Fair, fair, fair. That never stopped anyone. (laughs) Fair, fair. But, like, I mean, in this film, like... You know, he, he, like, I've always seen this as a children's film. I think about it, I go, oh, yes, Lily's a child and so on. Right now, like, Lily, uh, Mara Wilson, Lily actress, was, like, in her early teens when the film was being made. Mm. And, yes. and now she's 34. Like, I look at these and I go, oh, look at the young teenagers, how foolish they are. I need to remind myself that this film is over 20 years old. It blows me away because... It is not what I would expect from a 20-year-old film. I would expect much worse from that. And this film is doing better in terms of, like, quality and soundtrack especially and scenery and setting than tons of other 
1990s films. You haven't seen a lot of 1990s films, obviously, Connor. I think we should educate you. Yes. I... Listener, okay? It could just be the rose-tinted glasses, because whilst I do give this movie critique now, back as a child, I would watch it on repeat. Mm Mm-hmm. We all did, but in fairness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so... Lily goes to the station with Patch, uh, where she once again meets Junior, who has, you know, appeared now in his full uh, conductor uniform, mm-hmm. and he goes, oh, I really didn't think I'd see you again. Uh, Want to go to the island with me? <gasps> the island of the soda? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Okay, so, so, so in the space of, like, a few hours, Lily has... Uh, accompanied two male figures who she's only just met on adventures elsewhere. She's a very trusting person. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do appreciate the can-do attitude, and, like, I mean, normally I would be critiquing her for believing that she can go to a magical island where your dreams do come true and all the trains talk. However, again, she is currently talking, with no hesitation, of course, to... A man that's about 12 inches tall? Yes, that's a fair point. So, obviously, what do I know? And then, of course, they arrive at the island of Sodor. They arrive. Thomas is there. He goes, Boys, you're selling this scene way too short. What? First time we see the Magic Railroad. Okay, yeah. The first time we technically see the Magic Railroad. Which isn't very magic. It's the first time we get to see the Magic Railroad. We go on this journey, they're floating through, and it's mysterious and interesting. We've never seen anything like this before. It, it, it is very beautiful, I will give you that, it's, but I do prefer but, 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 a later Magic Railroad. But, 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 but it's covered in vines, you can't see what's going on. There's no beauty there at all. But I think that's the beauty of it. It's mysterious and kind of foreboding. We don't know exactly what it is because this is the first time that we've seen it. It almost has that kind of similar quality of the tunnel scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I hope it's not exactly like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That would be... More or less yeah. like the bits with like the flashing colours is all kind of whizzing by. It has that tunnel effect. Mm. Mm, if you say so. Perry, you may say it's covered in vines. You can't see, you know, the magic of all... It's beautiful. I ask you, is Stonehenge beautiful? Um, no, it, definitely it's not. Ruins. Machu Picchu? No. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. The Leaning Tower of Pisa? Overrated. The- all overrated, all of them. Wonderful. You know, dilapidated architecture, it's just not appealing the, at the, all. The, the Bendigo Firehouse. Which one? Uh, the one that's now theatre. Um, I'm indifferent to that one personally. Beautiful, because, you know... okay? Beautiful. <laughs> so, all of these things, okay, there, there is beauty in ugliness, okay? That's why we love you, Parry. So moving oh. on. <laughs> <laughs> Steady oh. on now, boys. Oh, bunker! Yeah, th- th- this podcast wouldn't be th- 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 this podcast wouldn't be half as popular without me, Kyrene. Come on! <laughs> I feel like I'm angering both of you today. Can you two please fight so I don't feel so bad? Moving on. There's this lovely sequence where Junior and Lily uh, see all the engines of Sodor. Uh, together for the first time as they're going about their daily uh, tasks pulling their trains and you see Bertie the bus swing by it's it's lovely 
It, it, is, is that mm-hmm. it, Denim? It's, it's rather lovely? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. It is lovely. Uh, Lily meets mm. Thomas, where Thomas says, a, a railway swear? Much like one in the headlamp, he goes, oh, bunker? Which I adore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, railway slang. Uh, and then when Thomas takes Lillian Jr. to meet Mr. C at the windmill, uh, he goes, thank throttles, you're safe. Um, meet at the uh, windmill. Mr. Conductor conveniently uh, forgets the clue. Uh, the bellflower rings magically where Mr. Conductor is and Sir Top of him a hat is on the other end of the line. Then... Junior uh, gets distracted with a windmill, rides it just like the fun fair, where the wind picks up and he flies through. N- yes, that is that is. Yeah, what, what, what? That what, is did... the meekest Scottish accent I've ever heard. What did you want to do? Oh, hi! It's just like the fun fair. Like, like... Don't ever do that again. Yeah. Oh, hi. It's yes, just like the fun fair. No, no, no. It's just like the fun fair. Okay. Meek. Meek and simple. Okay. Like me. So, the fun fair man flies through the air, lands up again, much like his cousin beforehand, flying across Sodor. But instead of landing on a lovely soft, question mark, bag of flour, he lands on the roof of the speeding Diesel 10. So, logistically, should be flattened. But I'm not going to question that. Uh, where Diesel 10 knows Junior and says, you don't got to be surfing here. Let's go, Moondoggy. And, 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 and off they go. Yeah, and then the two of them disappear for the next 10 to 15 minutes of movie. Yeah, they have their own adventure. I think it's at, at, at this point in the movie I realise that Junior is the human that I resonate the most with. Mm, yeah. I, 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 out of all the human characters, I would say that Junior is my favourite. Mm, yeah, I mean, he's got this very hedonistic air with which he carries himself because, you know, he's like this... Beach bum, surfer, stoner type guy who just takes everything as it comes and just has fun with it. Um, next scene after this is Patch admitting to Burnett that he lost Lily. And everyone's okay with it. Yeah, that, so, that's, that's yeah. what they said. Burnett's like, it's okay, Patch. We'll find her. That's... It should not be okay. When you lose your granddaughter... Well, 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 I think I think the insinuation is here because um, Burnett and Lily weren't exactly on good or friendly terms, and Lily didn't was apprehensive about visiting her grandfather. I think what's going through Burnett's mind is that you know she's run away or she's gone back home, and yeah, he's just yeah. So 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 it, it it's yeah it's less about defeatism and more about you know Burnett's you know inner turmoil saying to himself oh no i've shut someone else out of my life and yeah then however after this we do have a brief scene where percy's brave shivers his pistons uh sees spies the magic Mm -hmm. buffers with splodge has a american tumbleweed go by and yes the tumbleweed we were referring to before Uh aha aha i'm glad we brought this up again My theory is that 
when the tumbleweed was drawn towards the magic buffers, uh, when it was there for so long, the magic rubbed off it and it gained sentience from being around it so often. Ah. I, I believe in some of the original scripts for the movie, that is what happened. And then he had a lovely relationship with Boulder. No. <laughs> But no, no, after that no, no, no. scene, after that scene, after that scene, after that scene, after that scene, we're skipping multiple scenes here. And the scenes are uh, the scenes of violence that are going to occur between Denim and Parry and I. And after that <laughs> scene, uh, Mr. Conductor and Lily having a little campfire discussion by the rails with Thomas there. And Mr. Conductor gives a reason why Burnett won't be mad, saying that perhaps... Your grandfather knows that you're here on the island of Sodor. Maybe he knows something. And and then and, and Lily mm. mentions a mountain, and and then Mr. Conductor goes, Oh, uh, the magic in the mountain lady will smile. And and then Lily goes, Lady? And 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 the, ta da. Yeah, um, what Connor's referring to there is a poem or a limerick. No, it's not a limerick. It is a poem that. Uh, Mr. Conductor saw on the walls of the windmill, which magically appear and then disappear. And all this time he's been trying to decipher what the poem means. And now he has the answer. And thus, Thomas travels with Lily through the magic buffers. And and on the way, they spot a familiar friend. Yeah, the tumbleweed is back in his last scene. He's gained full sentience. He's rocking around all over the place. Right this way to Bufferville. Yeah. I can't just say this. You, you mentioned before how you liked the Magic Railroad scene. This scene here is the one that I adore the most for the Magic Railroad. It's not when Lily and Junior goes through. It's not when Lady goes through it. Although that is an equally amazing scene, but this one's just a bit better. <laughs> I'll get you home to your grandpa, Lily. Follow me, partner. Ooh. Right this way to Bufferville. Just a walk in the park. You're going through, Lily. You're on your own from here on in, little blue buckaroo. <laughs> little engines can do big things. It is dark and cold and bumpy, but I'm not afraid. Ooh, there's the missing coal truck. Coal truck? Stoke up the magic in the mountain. That's part of Mr. Conductor's clue to his gold dust. And Lily, that's what you do with coal. Stoke it up to make steam. We are going to be really reliable and help Mr. Conductor. We are going back for that coal truck. Buffers, coal truck, we're starting to solve the mysteries, Lily. You're a really useful engine, Thomas. Thomas? 
So, so what happens? What happens next is there's a rocky cliff face which Thomas has perched upon, and that gives way underneath him. And then he rolls down the hill, then across a field, and then suddenly he disappears through the ground and back onto yep. the magic railroad somehow. It's like a sky portal yes. or something. So, um, in the movie, it's just it's a bit windy, and Thomas falls down. However, in the original script. Thomas has always been on the Magic Railroad. This is just the small section of track where it goes from the island of Sodor Magic Magic part to underneath Muffle Mountain and the track's beneath. Uh... And he initially doesn't fall down due to wind. He initially falls down due to P.T. Boomer setting off explosions, trying to get into Burnett Stone's workshop. Because, yes, P.T. Boomer is still supposed to be in the film. We haven't mentioned him yet today. No, no. Um, and we should also point out, if, if we go back a bit, the scene where Stacy is driving her red Mustang to meet up with Burnett Stone, we see a figure on a motorcycle, and that figure is supposed to be... What's his name again? P.T. Boomer? Yes. Yeah, I almost called him P.T. Yes, Barnum, but that's another person entirely. Yes, yes, that that that, that is someone else. But... Uh, P.T. Boomer sets off the explosion and then sees a giant toy train mm. go down the hill and he hops on his motorbike and then he goes down the Magic Railroad with Thomas. Ha! Huh. That is originally what was supposed to happen. Well, we're mighty glad However, it didn't then. Yeah, it didn't. And instead, Thomas goes down and... Lily meets with Burnout and goes, the, the, the magic island and trains and gold dust and, oh, quick, get the coal. And then we cut back to Junior and Diesel 10. I would have to suggest that this is probably one of the best Diesel 10 scenes. So basically what happens is um, Diesel 10 and Junior fly into the smelters where James is sitting probably after doing a job. And when Diesel 10 stops, a, a Junior launches off James. And probably what follows is probably Diesel 10 at his most threatening in the whole film, which I really love. Mm. And as Diesel 10 raises Pinchy and slowly backs James away into the corner, with the buffers holding James back from a very long fall into a smelting pit. Certain death, yes. Falling apart. Yet certain death for both of them. Uh, what happens is that Junior picks up the gold dust that he was reserving for Lily for later on in the film. There's a promise, but if I'm ever going to be help at all, this is the time. And he goes, James the Brains, get us out of here. He blows on his kazoo and boom, an entire steam engine with men on top disappear in front of Diesel 10's eyes and arrive next to the secret grotto where Mr. Conductor is currently waiting. Yes, indeed. Now, two things we need to point out here. First of all, that magic reserve gold dust that um, Junior had, that was established in an earlier scene. He did promise to give that to Lily. We just glossed over it, like the movie does. And secondly, what is James doing in the smelter shed? He's just there on his own, no trucks, no anything. So, you know, it's mighty convenient for Junior that he happened to be parking himself there at that particular time. Not, not, yeah, not only parking himself there at a particular time, but on that particular track. Yes. D like, if James wasn't there, 
Diesel 10 would have just gone along, stopped, and then Junior would have just flown off him and then into the pit. Yes, quite. So, fate is a wonderful thing, and so is plot convenience. But when you start, like, apart from all the plot holes and the horrible exposition and the awkward wording and timing and all the other... The fact that this thing is said is never brought up. But apart from all of that, you do get this very, very dark scene at times. And it really builds up this... It builds up this amazing level of suspense that is nowhere in the film because... This is a side of Thomas that we never see again. If the entire film was Diesel 10 wrecking havoc and genuinely being a threat, like, this would be amazing. My favourite scenes are either the ones with good music or where there's genuine danger. Hmm, are you a bit of a sadomasochist, Connor? Is that what's going on here? No, 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 no. I, I just hate humanity. Oh, I prefer also, the company of trains. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Also, kids, whatever you do, do not Google sadomasochism. Like, please don't. You see, now that you mention it, those that <laughs> haven't and weren't thinking about it are going to. Just don't do it. I mean it. Absolutely do not do it. I gotta say, if there's any point in the film that really does it for me, it's here. There's so much that builds up towards this event. And the coming of characters and the character arcs and the plot itself and seeing Lady being steamed up and this large, beautiful steam engine breathe into life. There's something so majestic about it. I really love how they go through this tunnel. They go down the magic railroad and it starts glowing this beautiful green colour. And as they uh, chart further, they... um, see the magic railroad in its full glory and its full potential in this kind of beautiful uh, painting aesthetic, uh, very much like a, a Disney movie. And I, I, I don't know, that there, there's something about this whole sequence that hits a very strong emotional chord for me. I don't know, it, it does something, it stirs something within me whenever I watch it now. And I found that on the last viewing I had of this. It, it, it it does send like chills down my spine. If the 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 visuals, whilst not the best, the close up of the wheels speeding up, the music swelling to the score, the 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 a little bit of emotive connection, uh, all built up to the swell of music and lady no longer being a smoke box door, but her lights shining bright and her getting a face. Being voiced... Yes, she has a face. ...by none other than Britt Allcroft herself. Uh, as they're going along the magic railroad that's come back to life, they look behind them and they see Thomas, who's, you found her, she's beautiful! And then together, both Lady and Thomas together, exit the magic buffers together, back on the island of Sodor, where they meet up with... Junior and Mr. Conductor. For the Magic Railroad's magic engine has been found at last. Mm. 
only for its existence to be threatened again by Diesel 10. Yes. And thus occurs one of the greatest chase sequences in the whole franchise. It is, it is. It is a good chase sequence that, of course, happens after this. Um, so, more or less, like, Diesel 10's chasing Lady, who's being followed by Thomas, and then they go across, you know, all the landmarks of the island, and then they get to the viaduct... Um, the effects of which are pretty good, by the way. I mean, we see it crumbling and collapsing, and the steam engines make their way across, but Diesel, because he's large and heavy, you know, he falls into the uh, little waterway below. Yes, yes. Um, I, 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 di- I didn't really sell that scene, I'm sorry. It's not It's not really as... It's more epic than that. It, I've yeah. made it sound less impressive <clears throat> than what it actually is, but it is actually, a probably for me, the highlight of the movie... Yeah, well, Diesel 10, not only has he actually fallen down into the canal, he has landed in a barge uh, down below, which is pulling mm. some sludge along. And I I don't know whether it's just me, but... Do you think it's a metaphor for the movie, Connor? <laughs> no. Actually. Hang on now. The, 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 Sorry, that was mean of me. This is not connected, uh, uh, actually, but... The barge engine itself, the actual motor behind it, does it look like it's got a big gun on it, or is that supposed to be a mast? Because it would be a mast. No, you're right. It is a gun. It's it's a big like it, tank it is. gun. See, so yeah, for some reason, there's a big military what looks like an anti-aircraft gun on a boat. Hear me out. What if Diesel 10 belongs to the military and they knew that he was going to fall down there at that time so they went to go pick him up? Ooh, hoo, hoo. That's, that's, a, that's, that, that's officially canon now. Yeah, that, that's my favourite thing so far. However, there was a bit of a darker twist to this because in the uh, moment that Diesel 10 falls off the viaduct down into the sludge... Uh, throughout the entire chase, by the way, there has been a PT boomer on top of him. Technically. Well, there's supposed to be, but... Yeah. Yeah. And he lands in the sludge, and so was the other live person of PT boomer. And Junior... And, and this is, a, like, original script, not director's cut, just original script stuff... What happened was that Junior was supposed to use his magical bandana to turn both Diesel 10 and P.T. Boomer into sludge. Not cover them in sludge, turn them into sludge. Oh, you got dark, Brit. You got really dark there. It, it, yeah, there, there are just so many... Weird things when you start to look into this stuff, but it is very funny uh, at times. But mm. chase has ended. Thomas and Lady meet back at the grotto, where they 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 cover the idea of the 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 way to make gold dust, the swirls that that swing spin so well, 
and they add the embers that came, the shavings that came from Lady on the Magic Railroad. They mix it with the water. They throw it in the air and gold dust. Gold dust. Gold dust. Yes, indeed. And that's it. Conflict over. That's the resolution. And then, of course, there's bits at the end where they all say goodbye to each other and they go back to their happy lives. And yeah, that's that is... That, that that's it that's the feature length debut of thomas the tank engine and it's time for us all to go home just like thomas yeah um but before we do go home i think uh this would be an opportune time for us to take a breather and to head into a little musical interlude that's right parry it is time for a musical interlude and it is a very special moment because we have come to the end of the film which I am silently celebrating yes but at the same time it is a shining time for all of us really but first of all this is your shining time from the movie of Thomas and the Magic Railroad sung by Marinord That points just round the bend To a place you'll find Covered in clover The magic comes over you Showing the bright on time This is your shine
This is your shining time sung by Neil Donnell and Marin Ord from Thomas and the Magic Railroad soundtrack. And we've come up to probably the best bit of this episode. Finishing this film, so... Hold on now. <clears throat> we've reached the end of our story. For us, not 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 for the film, for us, well, for no, the no, podcast, no, no, no. for right on track. have done it justice with a few parts. And yes. You know, we didn't get to give it a score last time in the last episode because we hadn't finished it. And here we are. This has been... Heck, this has been two feature-length specials of Thomas and the Magic Railroad Mm. back-to-back Yes, just to cover the film. So, hey, like, I mean, I know that we can't talk too much about it going on and rambling because that's exactly what we do. But let's cover the main points. What it does good, what it does bad. Okay. What we could forgive, what we could forget. So, first of all, I would like to say that the music is A+. The music throughout the entire film, even the custom written music such as This Is Your Shining Time, even uh, How the Moon Must Feel... And all just the little bits, even the children, the even the singing of really useful engine, are brilliantly put together. Especially in those emotive, magical moments, the music is that that's like ten out of ten music for me. Okay, uh, hmm, the music, in my opinion, in my humble opinion. I don't know whether it's as good as Connor's selling it, but I think it's definitely pleasant. Like, I could listen to it and enjoy it. So, yeah, you're looking at, like, a 7 or an 8 from me for the music? Yeah, music is really interesting. Um, I think, first and foremost, it would have been really interesting to see what Mike O'Donnell and Juno Campbell would have done with this score. I think that's an opportunity Mm. that unfortunately was missed. But in lieu of that, we do have the amazing Hummy Man. Um, I think he does a tremendous job at echoing those previous compositions that we have heard in the show before, Um, but also some really beautiful, magical new stuff. I think there's some great musical moments that hit some tremendous emotional beats. Uh, For that reason, I'm going to give the music uh, an 8. Okay, there we are. So let... I think we'll move on now to the performances because I think, for me, the performances are the greatest strength of Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Uh, Connor, your thoughts? So, there there, there are plenty of parts that are hit and miss here. But they are very good. Uh, Alec Baldwin sometimes is a little bit too crazy and childlike Mm -hmm. and doesn't make much sense. But for a kid's film, I can see that. But as an adult that may need to take the child to the film, it's a get me out of here now. <laughs> um, brilliant job to both uh, Mara Wilson and Cody. 
uh, for playing mm-hmm. Lillian Patch. They did brilliant performances there. There may have been times that it seemed like the dialogue was a bit forced and unnatural. Mm-hmm. But that's not their fault. That's no. really the fault of like the screenwriters. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. So I say that they've done an amazing job. I feel that Junior absolutely nailed his role. Every line mm-hmm. that Junior said was perfect. Mm. Um, and then Stacy, Billy Two Feathers, and so on. Like they—that's again. I feel the screenwriters' fault. They weren't brought to justice in the film. Um, mm. So I'm going to have to say that overall for acting performances. Mm-hmm. I, I would say it's a six and a half out of ten. Oh, okay. That, so this is where we differ quite greatly, Connor and I, because the performances, I love how Alec Baldwin absolutely commits himself to the role. I don't care how silly he is, it's enjoyable to watch. Peter Fonda as well, just, you know, this is, let's be fair, a pretty mediocre children's film. The amount of effort he puts in here is just like phenomenal like you you can tell like he's a heartbroken man he's really struggling and yeah it's fantastic to see uh junior as well fun character well played dd con as stacy just warm motherly wonderful lily as played by mara wilson now in her autobiography mara did say that thomas and the magic railroad was a time when she was you know not really comfortable with being an actress and she was sort of having her own mutual separation with Hollywood and she didn't really know, you know, how to uh, sort of project herself or portray herself in this. But I honestly couldn't tell that looking at her performance. I think she's very composed. She's quite uh, believable in her role. So she's great as well. Um, so, yeah, um, overall, everyone's pretty good here. I, I would give them a 9 out of 10 for acting. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I, I think there's some really strong contentions in the acting. We have a, an amazing cast that's been put together, which is, I guess, unlike anything that we've seen in Thomas before. We've got Alec Baldwin, we've got Mario Wilson, we've got Peter Fonda. Diddy Cohen is amazing, but I think um, Junior is the one that really steals the show for me. I think he's in real top form. I love his acting. I think he's... Um, yeah, I, I think that cheekiness really leans into that. Um, and I'm invested. I'm invested in each of the characters' stories as we go along. Um, for that reason, I'm going to give acting an 8.5. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, going to very briefly touch on voice acting. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel voice actors, as like how they performed, I feel they did well. Especially Neil Crone who, like, played a good three or four mm-hmm. different people. Mm-hmm. Um, people, engines. Yes. Uh, Which isn't unusual for voice actors. I mean, they often oh, portray yes. more than one character in any particular project. Oh, yes. Um, however, I feel more so in terms of perhaps casting fault. They didn't feel like... The engines that I knew. Yeah, I mean, it it it, mm, no. it wasn't Percy, Henry, James, Toby. It was, you know, Percival, Jemima, <laughs> Henrico, and Tobias. Mm. I do feel like Toby is Toby though. Mm. Gordon's Gordon though. Gordon's good. Thomas is 
Yeah, Thomas is Thomas. Yeah, I, I think I could echo all those sentiments there. I mean, the voice acting is really good, but I don't know whether it's necessarily the voices that I would pair with all the engines. So, especially uh, as someone who grew up listening to Ringo Starr and Michael Angelos, and of course, their distinctive voices for all the characters. So, yeah, yeah, which is di- difficult to do when you're a narrator because you've got to give all these different voices to all these many, many different engines. And I think what Angelus has done with James, James's voice in particular, we now associate, you know, that high-pitched nasally delivery with James, no matter yeah. where we see him, what project he's in. So, yeah. Um, and so, oh, Connor, I should have asked you, what about a score out of 10 for the voice acting? <laughs> all, all, all good. Uh, for voice acting, I'm... Oh, crap. Like, voice actors, they did good. But it isn't the voices I would give them. It's not the voices that I've seen with them. It's not the voices that I believe anyone else really sees with them, unless this was their first time watching any Thomas Media. So I'm afraid I'm going to have to give it a five. Parry? Mm. Uh, okay. I would say six out of ten. Like, it's better than average. Okay, okay. Denim. Yeah, I think in thinking about this, I have to cast back to my earlier remark that this is for a UK and a US audience. I can understand the liberties that have been taken here. Um, I, I do feel like Thomas is very Thomasy. Gordon is very Gordony. Some of the other characters are questionable, as I did allude to just before. I do think Toby sounds like Toby. Um, Neil Crone again is an amazing as Diesel Ten. I think Splatter and Dodge are fantastic. Look, I think I'm going to have to give voice acting uh, a seven. A seven. Okay. Okay. Uh, This, of course, will... I I feel it's a very, very brief one in terms of set. Uh, At times, I feel that the set and lighting and so on is very simple. But at the same time, there are beautiful parts. So I'm just going to score a plain five. Okay, no, I'm going to... I'm actually going to go less than you, actually, because when you compare what um, uh, Rob Gold Galliers mm. and all the other set decorators did in seasons one to five and compare it to this, it does feel, like, really barren, for want of a better phrase. So I'm... It doesn't. But before it you does, say your honestly, score, yes. on that mm. note, I'm going to quickly amend mine down to a four. Okay, well, that was going to be my score as well, a four. So Fantastic. Denim. Overall, it's very green and aesthetically pleasing. I'm going to have to give it a six. Okay. Six. Okay. Uh, and then I feel the final thing would be like script slash story. Yeah, this is definitely where the film lags behind like significantly. I mean, uh, I, I mean... the. the but the problems go deeper than the screenplay. I mean, this, the story, it feels mm. rushed, but that's due to the direction and the editing and the pacing. And there are all these holes in there. But again, you know, they could have been filled with just a bit more, you know, extra scenes here and there. Look, And the story, look, it just, it, it doesn't really do anything for me. It feels really silly, really convoluted. It sort of retcons everything that's been happening in the television series. So let's scale it back to a, Two out of ten for me. Mm. So, a- a- again, we can't blame uh, the directors or script writers mm. for the turbulent times that happen behind the scenes. Yes. For 
the rewrites for the test audiences. Mm. We can't blame them for that. If anything, we should be blaming the the higher ups at the top of the production yeah, the, company, the executives, and whatnot. Saying, yeah, saying you mm. can't delay the film. Mm. Yeah, because if it was delayed, there would be time to fix this stuff. Absolutely. Now, at the same time, it mightn't have been made. So mm. I, I agree that there are times that it is heavily lacking. Mm. But again, there are just some notes uh, of dialogue and writing that just fits so well. Especially the bantering between the engines and whatnot. Mm. They have got the relationship between the characters right. And for that, I'm going to score slightly higher than you at a 2.5. <laughs> slightly being the key word there. Denim, what about you? Okay. I think this is the hard job that the Magic Railroad had to do. Ultimately, it was the binding together of the worlds of Thomas the Tank Engine and Shining Time Station. Um, difficult task. But what I really like about this is that this is the only time in Thomas' history that something like this has been done. It's the only time we see particular elements in here all together, and I think for that reason it's really fascinating. Um, I think there's a lot to really gravitate towards. I think um, Brit is great at writing human relations, I really like the fact that she's kind of looking at her target demographic and thinking about girls as well as boys with the character of Lily in mind. Um, I like that it hits different chords from what a normal Thomas story wouldn't do or a normal Shining Time story wouldn't do. And I think as a hybrid model, um, it doesn't work fluidly completely. But it's definitely something. And I think that something is worth celebrating. So for that, I'm going to give it an 8. Oh, that, that's, that's high. Yes, look, I think... Hmm, uh, I think with more time and more creative control, I reckon there definitely could have been a really good movie here. There's the potential, definitely. But yeah, with bigger budget, with some... Better set decoration, etc. Essentially, essentially, what I'm saying, no problems. It would be the perfect film, but you know, oh, we yeah, don't live yeah, in a... absolutely. Hmm. But I think yet this what what the Thomas and the Magic Railroad is is an example of why you should give creatives more control over their final product. I mean, we recently had a really great animated film corner come out called The Mitchells versus the Machines. And you can tell watching mm. that that the studio executives did not interfere. There, there was absolutely no one who s- stepped up and said, you can't do this, you can't do that. It clearly has given like the artists free reign with what to do and what jokes to tell and that kind of thing. And that is the kind of mentality, the kind of thinking that a project, well, any movie project needs really, but particularly Thomas and the Magic Railroad. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, like I, I agree. So, I, I, I've dragged this film through a lot of boiler sludge. <laughs> I, I, I can, I can admit that, but I still enjoy it. Like, an, uh, the critique in me hates it when I laugh at the ball in the bat. Mm. It absolutely despises me when I'm there singing along to little tunes because it's like. 
it, it really shouldn't be there. But at the same time, the child in me, the part of me that grew up watching this film, it still does like the film. Mm. So, I have a proposal for Yes. You. Because I've tallied up the scores that we gave. Mm-hmm. Before, out of music, acting, voice acting, setting, and yes. story, which would lead to a score out of fifty. Mm-hmm. I propose we do two separate scores for this. Okay. One is the tallied score out of fifty, and one is one just for us. We can put on the rose tinted glasses and not be a critic. And just say what we think. Okay, then. So, Connor, you've tallied up the scores. Tell us, what's our tallied score for each of us? So, uh, I gave uh, music a 10, acting 6.5, voice acting 5, setting 4, story 2.5, leading to a total of 28 out of 50, just over Mm -hmm. halfway. Parry gave music 8, acting 9, voice acting 6, setting 4, story 2, leading to a total of 29 out of 50. And Denim giving music 8, acting 8.5, voice acting 7, setting 6, story 8, a grand final total of 37.5. So, like, we we all definitely have, like, out of five? No, out of 50. These scores are out of 50. Mm-hmm. I, I scored it about middle of the mile. Parry, a little bit more. Denim, you, you were about three quarters mm-hmm. of the way through. Uh, almost four fifths. Which, yeah, that mm-hmm. works. I feel though that as a personal film to me when i sit down and watch this film as a guilty pleasure yes wholeheartedly so as a personal score i'm going to give it a 8.5 okay well hmm well for me and and i approach this as both a fan of thomas and an accredited film critic flex flex oh here Um, we go (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, for me Thomas and the Magic Railroad like it's neither here nor there like there's lots of stuff I love and appreciate about it but there's other stuff I can see where it definitely does fall behind not just in terms of like being a film but being a Thomas story so considering those things I would give it a final score of 5 out of 10 so you're looking at 2.5 stars as okay. a film and 2.5 stars as like something within the Thomas lore Oh, I mean, like, I could, but, like, looking at this film at a large landscape, it's got its flaws. It's the the wacky cousin that we all have. Um, there's so much I love about it. Um, and that I think the biggest thing I love about Thomas and the Magic Railroad, it's such an obscurity. It's something of its kind that we've only seen once and we will never see ever again. Um, For that reason, I give it a 9 out of 10. 
Okay. So for personal scores, that's an 8.5 from me, 5 from Parry, and a 9 from Denim. Meanwhile, for the grand totals, we had a 28 from me, 29 from Parry, and a 37.5 out of Denim. And those scores were out of 50. Yes, indeed. And... How, how do you feel that, Parry? Oh, I feel I feel the weight of the world we're, lifted off my shoulders. I, I, I we're feel free. Like we're, oh, <laughs> we're free. Gosh, we never have to talk about Magic Railroad oh. ever again. <sighs> I'll bring it up at every opportunity that I can. We know you will, but you know what? This was. was fun. It was. It was. It was. It, 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 there are many downsides to the film, but it's still... At times, a mm. good film. And I think it's important that we remember that sometimes. Whilst we are critics, we're mm. also fans of these things. Yes, indeed. Which brings us to the end of episode 42 of Right on Track. And, and do, do, I, I think we did learn the meaning of life and everything along the way. We did. We yeah, did indeed. It, it's in a secret code throughout, so good luck descrambling it. <laughs> <laughs> and, Parry, dare I ask, what are we going to be covering in next week's episode? In Well, the next time on the Right on Track podcast, we'll be heading into Series 6 of the television series. Ooh. and. Yes, uh, this has been a long time coming, but we're definitely looking forward to getting into viewing the old TV episodes. And yeah. the the stories we're going to be covering are Salty's Secret, Harvey to the Rescue, and No Sleep for Cranky, hopefully with a special guest. And I think all that's left for us to do now is to... Well, we've got to plug our socials first of all. So, Denim, you start us off. You can follow us on Twitter at OnTrackThomas. You can follow us on Instagram at T-T-T-E underscore RightOnTrack. And of course, there's also our Facebook page, which you can find at Facebook.com forward slash RightOnTrackThomasPodcast. And we've got email as well. Our email address is RightOnTrackThomas, all lowercase, at gmail.com. And... If you want, you can check out our new website. Yes, indeed. Hey. Uh, at rightontrackthomas.wixsite.com forward slash podcast. Yes. We have now got our own little website now with the RSS feed and video of the month and friends of the podcast. It's amazing, guys. There's some goodies there that you should check out. Absolutely. Now, we want to thank everybody who sent in voice clips for the last two episodes. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to include them all, but we hope to put them onto something special for our social media pages at some point in the near future. We'll we'll, we'll do a little bonus track for you all. We will. Absolutely. But until that time comes, I've still been Denim. I've still been Parry. I'm still Connor, and this has been the Right on Track podcast, guys. Adios. Bye. Bye.